Welcome to Hustle Like You Broke. Another beautiful day in the neighborhood, my neighborhood, same neighborhood as it's been for the last several months, which is definitely a new experience for me. I believe that that is the same for my good friends, Christine Dallas. Correct, but I am enjoying mango season. That is what is full effect right now. Beautiful, perfect, orange, red mangoes. It's amazing. Well, I expect my shipment in the mail any day. Oh, if you're an eater, I shall do that. Absolutely. There it is. Kyle Hamilton joining us today as well. Full balance, full balance here in sunny California. Enjoying my keto diet. (laughs) Also from sunny California. My good brother, Banks. What's going on, everybody? Now, Brother Banks. Oh, no drink? Mm. Yeah. No, it's there. Excuse me. Sorry, it's there. I just, my ice is a little uh, melted. It's pretty warm today in Southern California, so my ice is disintegrated into my beverage. It's, it's here. Sounds like it might be almost time for a refill. It's time for some more ice. <laughs> I have a larger glass today. I vote both. Magnum. Well, we are coming off Mother's Day weekend. Not sure if we will air this week or next. A little uh, mystery of our world uh, revealed. We don't always air immediately after taping. Hopefully that doesn't ruin the magic for all of our listeners. Uh, but uh, I want to give a shout out to all the moms out there. We love you. We appreciate you. And uh, we thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed your weekend. Now, there's been a lot of talk about drive-in concerts being the first thing to come back recently. I'm still kind of curious how exactly the show gets built. It's been a part of kind of building some models for how you get the cars in and out safely, keep the people in the audience separated, etc. But the show, but the build, the crew, I, I, that, that's the part that I don't get. and. And the Event Safety Alliance just dropped their guidance for reopening, uh, primarily in small venues just the other day. And I want to give a shout out to them, let them know we appreciate their efforts to lead the way in reopening. I'll be a little honest. I, I was disappointed to hear that they weren't, they made a reference in their description to these aren't best practices or something like that. And I've been saying since we started this podcast that I really feel like we need to start establishing best practices. I think the voice of the Event Safety Alliance and its members will be critical in doing that. Um, But not to take anything away from them, because I really appreciate what they are doing. I really appreciate the efforts they are making. They had a good suggestion, actually, for you know for crew builds. They basically said where building requires people be in proximity to one another, that they should establish essentially teams, teams that would work together, stick together, stay together for the duration of the in and the out, presumably, Um, which makes sense in terms of minimizing the number of people that come in contact with each other. It doesn't fully solve the problems. And of course, we really don't know what will. I'm also really curious about how this rollout plan works 
in terms of the spacing of the people in the venue on the floor and the lines to get in and the lines to the merch and the lines to the bathroom and the lines to the bar and heaven forbid a bar tender touches somebody's ID and has to wash their hands before they go back to work. It just feels like everything's going to take a long time and everything's going to be really challenging. And I'm picturing 3,000 capacity venues with 600 people in it. So I just have so many questions. Everyone, Chris, Kyle, Dallas, I mean, tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me, tell me what you're thinking. I, I hope you've seen this also. And and again, I, I hope you really appreciate what they're doing. I don't mean to criticize. I just want to be a part of figuring out the best way to, to work with this and to, to develop that efficiency model we need. I mean, guys, what do you think? I think we've got a long way to go. I think we still don't know enough. I mean, I appreciate any progress forward is good progress in my book. So I do appreciate the event safety alliance coming up with some guidelines and such and some thinking obviously but i'm gonna err on the side of caution at this moment in that you know i still believe you know we don't have any directives from artists we you know artists band the people who are on stage um not to mention you know how do you build the show the question i keep asking like how do you build the show by not being able to be next to somebody um and how do you protect the people when they are but I don't know, you know, hopefully in a couple of months, we'll know more. I'd like to believe in this century we can get answers faster. But, um, you know, I'm at a loss. Kyle, Chris? Well, I feel something will be figured out sooner than later. Um, with regards to building sets or stages, for that matter, technically it's almost impossible to social distance, especially building a stage. So what, hap- what would have to happen is the stagehands, per se, and the crew would, be, would have to just <clears throat> probably wear masks and all the other good stuff. But with that being said, the honesty factor would have to kick in, too. Have you been sick? Have you felt this way? Have you felt that way? And in order to make this you know, work, or else your load-in would be a day and a half before for a standard textbook sh- arena show and two weeks for a stadium show. Well, that's part of my concern, not even the amount of time in advance that this needs to happen, but how much more time it will take for this to happen. I guess that's another one of my questions. Like, how are we going to do this in a way that doesn't cost so much more money that all of a sudden the show itself becomes cost prohibitive? There isn't enough money to go around for the artists to get theirs, even if they're willing to take you know, some money out of their pocket, even if they're willing to do a tour where they grow so much less in order to keep staffs employed, in order to play, pay their teams, in order for the locals to get theirs. Again, that's one of the things I, I really appreciate well, and, about and the, the modeling. I Go feel ahead. in the gravity of where we are right now with everybody, and I'm not saying everybody, but to say that greed still runs everything. I mean, hell, an airline was proposing paying you paying for the empty for the vacant middle seat that you're sitting next to on a plane just because it's vacant. So, which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Nonetheless, artists aren't going to take less money because the money is still there. It just has to be reallocated a certain way on how it's being 
presented the venue wise. So when I remember somebody talking about, do you think you'd take a stadium tour into a arena or a theater and do multiple nights? And you're like, absolutely not. I think that would definitely be would come into effect before the artist would take more, take less money. Well, that, that may be the case. I hope that's not always the case, but certainly may be the case. Uh, we have to see. I, and and again, just a lot of questions. So I appreciate that that they're being asked. Chris, any comments on your end? I just think that um, with this whole driving proposal, it seems to be where everybody's pushing, where everybody's headed. Um, a buddy of mine shared something with me, you know, for audio distribution. Because if you're in your cars, how are you going to see the show or hear the show, you know, in your car? And I think that's going to be the new thing is how to deliver audio to people in their vehicles, because this seems to be the route that everybody's going. I've gotten a few emails and had a couple of conference calls about this new proposal. And I'm, I'm still curious as to how it's actually going to play out. But I think delivered audio, um, live delivered audio is going to be the route that people are going to be uh, looking at. And are people talking about Bluetooth technology as opposed to a traditional PA, both? Yeah, they're talking about both. So they're saying, you know, people will be able to enjoy it depending on where, what, what area they pay for. They're sitting on top of their cars, or their cars are spaced or whatever. But then the people all the way in the back, you know, they're not going to be able to hear it. We're not putting delay towers back there. So we're talking about a, a, a shortwave radio that's going to deliver the audio to those people live. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm just I'm fascinated by all of this and very curious how this uh, how this all is going to play out. I, I'm I mean the skeptic in me says the problem from a fan engagement perspective is what happens when alcohol enters the mix. I mean, say you're inside in a club, not not at or even at a driving concert. I mean, there's lines at the bar. There's lines to get in the bathroom. People are getting drunk. How's that going to go? I was reading an article about an ice cream shop that reopened. And by the middle of the first day, people that had not followed the guidance that had been provided to them clearly prior to their arrival and upon entry to this ice cream shop were yelling and screaming at the staff and each other. And the place had to close down early, their first day of reopening. This is an ice cream shop. This isn't even a bar. Alcohol wasn't a factor in this situation, supposedly. I, I can't be sure. But I mean, now we're going to a place where people are intentionally buying alcohol, where that is one of the largest forms of concessions and revenue separate from the ticket price. I just, I have a lot of questions. I think it's going to turn into a bring your own situation. Like, you know, how you have some venues in Southern California where you're able to bring your own picnic and your own alcohol. I think that's going to be the new norm. I mean, we're seeing that kind of play out with the restaurants in California, or I'm seeing now, just yesterday for Mother's Day, I saw a restaurant that was just allowing people to buy alcohol and not even requiring them to buy a meal. So I think that that model is kind of playing out in front of us right now where people are going to be able to bring their own setup to a, a show where we don't have to use concessions right now. Well, I'm intrigued to see where that goes. Again, I, I'm I, any and all solutions that gets people back to work safely and, uh, you know, 
helps drive the economy and and helps drive our industry, gives the hustlers that we speak to for and about uh, the opportunity to be gainfully employed. I am enthusiastic about it. We have another great guest today. We are very excited to introduce Charity Lomax. Charity, how are you? I'm fantastic here in Nashville. Well, I do love Nashville. I have some family in Nashville. I have a ton of great friends in Nashville. So uh, I've, I've contemplated the move there myself. But you have a great story. You started in audio. You went to Full Sail University. You've worked a behind the scenes on video shoots, done appearances uh, with the Pussycat Dolls. Um, I didn't mean to imply you may, were a, one of the dolls that may or may not be true. I honestly <laughs> don't know. Uh, but you've been a production coordinator, a road manager, a tour manager. You've worked with the Eagles, Christina Aguilera, Van Halen. Sounds like a full stop Azoff relationship. There, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. You are uh, correct. <laughs> Janet Jackson, Aerosmith, Mariah Carey, the list goes on and on. So thank you for being with us. And now you work at JH Audio, as I understand. I got my ears from them. Banks did as well, as I understand, since he turned me on to JH. So again, a, a storied career in the making. We appreciate you being with us. We definitely, obviously, you are a woman. We think it is very important to be highlighting women in this industry, women being underrepresented in this industry overall. Um, so thank you. Thank you for your time today. Please, if I haven't said too much already, tell us a little more about yourself. Um, so, yeah, as you said, I went to Full Sail with um, aspirations of being a front of house engineer. And I got derailed, not really derailed, sort of like took a different path. I, I moved out to L.A. and the job that was available was a runner at a recording studio. So I actually got a job at Westlake Audio in L.A. as a runner and ended up loving it there and just sort of put the whole touring thing on the on the back burner for nine years. I worked there and um, loved it and learned so much. And then sort of after I kind of hit the glass ceiling there, that's when I transitioned into touring just by happenstance. I answered the phone and offered myself up to be a tour manager, you know, something I had never done. So, yeah, that's just kind of I've just sort of all sort of segued from just different people that I've met along the way. And um, I definitely realized when I was working at the studio and I was an assistant engineer that twisting knobs wasn't what I was good at. I mean, I could have done it, but I was better at putting the right people together and making sure things happened. And that sort of took me on the path that I, I ended up at. So Charity, I was thinking about it. Would you say you were one of the first graduating classes from Full Sail? No, not actually. I went there in 90 because I like went to college trying to figure it all out. So I didn't even go to school there until I was probably about, I think I was probably about 24, which now they're like getting them right out of high school. So I graduated in 94. Um, and there were plenty of people that came before me, but as far as females, <laughs> I think there was maybe like 17 girls in the school when I went to school there. But yeah, I, I, I was still on the front end, but not completely. And that was out of a class of how many? Uh, there was, I went to there in the summer classes because they have new classes that start every, every month. So I think there was maybe 30 people in my, my actual class. Um, and there, I think two of us, uh, there was two females. 
No, it's just curious because, of course, one of the things that we often discuss is uh, as a female not really knowing about the industry, and particularly, you know, in that time frame of the sort of early 90s, it wasn't a common path. So how were you able to get into, how, how did you find out about Full Sail? On the radio. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I don't care. I'm 51 years old, right? And um, I was sitting in my bedroom in Maryland, where I'm from. And I had, like I said, I had been studying photography. I was working full time, graduated from high school, just trying to figure out where I could go to learn anything about audio. And I was listening to 98 Rock and it was like, do you want a job in the music industry? I mean, just like everything that you wanted to hear. Like, I was like, oh my God, what is this? Call 1-800-CAN-ROCK. So I called the number and they were doing, they, they called it a Dreams Across America tour where they would just go to different cities, set up in a hotel and give this whole presentation about the school. So I went, it was in Baltimore. I went and I was like, oh my God, I have got to go to school here. Like this, this is my, you know, this is it. And I come home and I get, show my mother the brochure and I was like, oh my God, Ma, I got to go to school there. But it's like $17,000 and, you know, and I'm still living at home, but I'm fundamentally supporting myself. I'm like, whatever, you know, I can't afford that. And, and then we just sort of put it on the back burner. And then a year later they came back and I took my mother with me and she was like, oh my God, you got to go to school there. And, um, you know, it took, took a little bit of time, but eventually we got it together and I just, you know, finally had to take the leap and, and that's how I landed there. That's great. I mean, it's so nice to hear such a positive story like that. And then it's obviously worked out for you. You, you know, you did your audio bit and then you were just like, but then you took it away another direction. You realized that you were more drawn to the logistical side. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's something that's important. And, and what I talk to students a lot. I think it's important to like, I think especially kids today, they have, they're so laser focused on one thing, which is great. But sometimes you get there and you realize that eh, that might not be for me or it's not quite what I thought it was. And you get, especially when you throw the school component and it costs exponentially more to go to that, that school in particular now. But it's so, I mean, what my whole thing is, it's okay to change your mind. Like you, you learn things as you get into your craft jobs that for some people you didn't even know exist. Like I didn't even know what a production coordinator was. I was like a tour manager and then started working on these larger tours. And I was like, what does that person do? You know? Absolutely. And, and it's, it's okay to change your mind if the path that you were so dead set on doesn't end up panning out or it's not what you thought it was. And um, I think that's really important because I think some people just give up when it's not what they, they dreamt it was going to be instead of just hustling and figuring out something else. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, the hustle is, that's what it's all about is, yeah. you know, and, and finding those forks in the road and recognizing, like you mentioned, what your strengths are. I think um, the challenge, of course, and you're mentioning you're jumped onto in a production coordinator role of large tools, tours. Can you give um, our listeners an example of what size people you might be managing on that? I started off as a tour manager for a small artist who was opening up, you know, for someone and, and, you know, we all kind of went and we were all new. The manager was new, like we were all new. So we were all figuring out, but thankfully for me, the people that were working for the headliner knew that it was my first time. Like, we're going to teach you everything that you need to know. So I did that. It was my first tour. And then I kind of started working as an assistant off the road for the manager who ended up managing the pussycat dolls. So I started with them from the beginning and went from everything wardrobe, you name it, to I eventually I transitioned myself out of more of a personal and, you know, spending a lot of time personally dealing with the girls into more of a production 
type of job. That was a very conscious decision. Um, and then from there, they had opened up for Christina Aguilera, and that's where the Azoff connection comes. Um, she had, like I said, I, I kind of minimally knew what a production coordinator did, but um, I did some one-off work for Christina once her tour tanked and she had to do promo, I got hired to just kind of help with all that. And Irving Azoff stayed a day, uh, his tour coordinator was like, I want to know where you are at all times. Like, I want you to work on everything. And so that's how I got my first like job with the Eagles. And so that tour, you know, depending on where we were in the world, I mean, the production manager's assistant, I would probably have, you know, 70 to 80 people, not including truck drivers. Um, and yeah, and this, you know, that's just main crew. And then also having to deal with the actual band where every band member had a road manager. So then you had that component of dealing with the A party, the B party, and everybody in the C party. Yeah, that's a fun one. So, <laughs> yeah, specific. I mean, it, I tell you, very specific. It, very, very, that, let me tell you that, that nothing gets more specific than the Eagles. Let me tell you that. But um, so, yeah, so I would do stuff like that. And then I would tour manage, you know, smaller tours like Sublime or, Queen Latifah, which was sort of a me. That was actually my first sort of like big tour management kind of job. But yeah, so it just, it just really depends. But usually about 70 to 80 was my number as far as crew go. Awesome. It's always fun. What, what would you say is your best um, learning tool along the way? Um, you know, I think it's just, at, you know, first of all, asking questions and not being afraid to ask questions. Um, I'll tell you from when I got the job with the Eagles, I thought I was pretty good at my job. Their level of detail and what they expect, which is very, very specific. They're not the band that's going to call you at midnight and ask for a unicorn. It's like they know every day, you know exactly what is expected of you. And just seeing how they did things and just in, implementing it to different artists and things like that. And just, like I said, I think probably the biggest thing, especially when you get on the first time you get on one of those larger tours, and it can be a little bit intimidating, is just if you don't know how to do something, just ask. Absolutely. You know, how, like, many, how many farewell tours did you do with the Eagles? <laughs> no, well, I did. The, I actually did the, the actual one, which was, well, we didn't know when that tour ended that we didn't think it was going to be a farewell and then Glenn passed away, and I we all thought that that was it. And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, but we're going to try this out. And, and you know, good for them, because they are a great, great band to work for, and they take very, very good care of their people. So I've got nothing but great things to say about they that. They farewelled band. about five times, right? Well, hell froze over. And um, once that happened, and then uh, they took a long trip down the road to Eden, <laughs> and then we had the history of the Eagles, and I don't even know what they're calling it now, but um, yeah, it's I'm I'm happy that they're yeah, still going. Yeah, because I saw their farewell tour, I would probably say in uh, the early 2000s, I was actually blown away by mm -hmm. the one, the, sound, the show sound incredible. I'm like, what PA do they have up here? Because it's like a warm <laughs> blanket. Somebody just tucked you in. Like all the little nuances yeah. you heard, it was incredible. But that was, I would say, almost 20 years ago, and they still farewelling. When they first got back together, they told Irving Azoff they would not do it unless he came back on the road with them. So he was on the tour, the Hell, Freeze, Hell Freezes Over tour. And I just think kind of as they've gone along, I think they realize, A, that they enjoy it, and B, there's a lot of money on the table. A I had no idea when I took that job that 
they were as international of a band because they're so American. They're, I mean, but we play, I've played places and been places I never thought I'd go with a band like that, which was amazing. So do you think they're ultimately done now since uh, the Corona showed up or do you think that? Mm-mm. Well, see, I still have some good friends in that camp. And, and the great thing is, is I, I feel like Irving's got his pulse on everything. So I, I can tell you, which I don't think it's any kind of secret. I know that they, they were early on with sliding their dates, but they were just slide shifting and um, they were still taking care of their people. And then they shifted a little more and then they got the word last week, which I think, yeah, it obviously, I think it's been made public that they're, you know, 2021 and later in 2021. And I think in doing that, they, they put it far enough back that they secured the dates because that's going to be the, the other problem is trying to get a venue when everybody's trying right. to tour. So I think they, they padded their stuff towards the fall, knowing that they could fill in the blanks on the front end if it's possible. Yeah, they're not going to stop. They're not going to stop at all. There it is. It's interesting you just said about uh, tours, by the way, falling on top of each other and the difficulty of getting venues and all of that for next year. That's that's another side of it that those of us who are in it know, you know, is is coming down the pipe. But uh, but I, I'm glad that you called attention. To well, it. yeah, and then you throw sports team, which the, the sports teams are the priority for most of the you know, all the arenas at least. So you throw sports on top of concerts, you know, and it's like everybody's going to be hustling to try to to get under somebody's roof to do a show. Well, it's good to hear the Eagles really are the gentlemen that's, that, that I've always heard that they were. And I have nothing but respect for the Azoffs also. So being on the road with, with Irving must have been a, a pretty incredible learning experience. So that's very, very cool. And and then when were you out with Halen? I mean, who, who who was in the band when you did Van Halen? I did the 2012. So it was the second one that they did with David Lee Roth. Because um, they did, I think they did 2008. Then they, And they had to stop it because Eddie went into rehab. Then they did 2012. And then they did 2015. So I was on the 2012 tour. And it, let me tell you, that was like one of my highlights <laughs> I was I'm such a man huge Van Halen fan growing up and just like I cannot believe like I'm first day of rehearsals I was like dying like Eddie Van Halen's just blazing on the stage right now it's awesome and once again great people another well the Van Halen aspect I'm gonna be straight up those people are wonderful that other guy <laughs> nope no no comment. Uh, i don't know which people you're talking about and i don't want you to say i uh, i i met david uh not long ago and he was the nicest guy in the world um i i, I had nothing but nice things to say, have nothing but but nice things to say about him um and uh i did that 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 there it is um <laughs> Uh, but but again, uh, you know the Azoffs. Uh, you know they 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 they've got their finger to the pulse. With Christina, were you playing to Russian oligarchs or something? What was the deal? Oh my God! How did you know? Apparently, I know. <laughs> like no joke, no joke. We did a show on New Year's Eve. I don't know what year it was. On New Year's Eve, she didn't go on until three o'clock in the morning. And the people, our handlers were saying that basically we were like in the safest place in, in all of Russia at that moment, because 
all of these heavy hitters were all at this party. And, and it was absolutely, I have done so many private shows with her. It is absolutely crazy. Some of the, some of the people that we played, paid for, or like the small amount of people that we paid, played for and how much money I'm sure she was getting paid. It's wild. Tell me something in your experience and years of being in the business. Um, what's, we talk about technology a lot on the show. What have you seen or has affected you in terms of technology? Um, you know, I think even just from a very, very fundamental level, the internet, like, so we had, and you know, obviously now like the IT position is huge. And I remember when I was out on Eagles, we had a guy, so this is before you could stream everything, right? Those guys, Glenn and, and Don specifically, uh, Don likes to watch the weather channel and Glenn liked to watch golf. So we had sling boxes. And a guy in LA that had all, the guy that actually owned our IT company had a whole setup so that these guys could watch all that stuff no matter where we were in the world. And the guy that did our IT, like that was like the most, like when they walked in the door, like if that TV wasn't working, like, you know, he was basically standing there on standby. And at one point we were somewhere and me and the stage manager got into it about somebody missing lobby call and. And, and I sort of made the point, like, we either wait for everybody or we wait for nobody. And we had oil spotted the IT guy the day before when we were going to the gig. And he was like, well, he doesn't work as hard as, like, the guys on the floor. And I was like, let that internet go down and see who's important. Like, he is just as, as important. And now, especially, you know, the internet and IT is like, that's just a whole, you know, position for several people, depending on the size of the tour. But one of the things that I wanted to mention when we were talking about what the future is going to look like, I think we're going to go back to, since if we're going to be doing these limited capacity shows, um, streaming, you know, back to pay-per-view. Like for the people that, that don't feel safe going out, that's another revenue stream to tap into. Oh, absolutely. But I guess, you know, it still will be a select few, I presume, that will be a part of that. And that, you know, again, yeah. is where, depending on what you do in the industry, um, it's not ideal. And, you know, the, the question is like, how do we, um, we're going to do it for all of us, <laughs> you know, the challenge is real. But as you mentioned, like when you, you know, when you look at something like technology and IT particularly, it's just changed co completely. You know, I remember when I first started, we would have to wait till like 8 PM at night, Eastern standard to fax back contracts to the West coast, you know, and you'd like sit there <laughs> hoping that the fax would go through. And then you'd be so annoyed because, like, page 36 would just disappear, <laughs> you know. And now, like, a runner, you know, you interface with a runner nowadays, and you're like, what do you mean you don't know where that is? You know, and I remember, like, back in the day, you had a book and a map. Like, seriously, <laughs> you know, it was the yellow pages and a map. And, you know, we've come a long way since then. Very. We've come but you very still got to beg for a map you. on a festival site. This is true. Something's never changed. And you know, it's even funny. Like, one of my last tours, like, you've always got those old school guys that are holdouts. Now, you would think at this day and age, everybody's got a smartphone, right? And I remember being in Australia, and it was not that long ago. And this guy's like, uh-uh, I don't have an international plan. I need an actual day sheet. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? You are telling me that you cannot spend the 10 extra dollars to get data or whatever it was. And so, and, and then you try to deliver a hard day sheet, and you can't get it underneath the sash. And it's right? just like, come on, guys. Come on, you're better. Yeah, that happens, you know, and it, I mean, it is, but it, again, I remember being on tours where, you know, we had like an international incident 
And at those times, not everybody had their phones on. And it really created an interesting situation mm-hmm. on how did you, you know, how did we reach everyone, you know, and make sure everyone was safe because of that very fact, like when they're in a foreign country, they may not always, and it is great nowadays, the fact that, you know, it's included in your hotel plan. There is no excuse. I mean, trying to, like you say, shove a day sheet under door is almost impossible nowadays. Well, one of the things we did on one of the last tours that I did with the Eagles is we went and got, you know, basically everybody pretty much has the three big carriers. And we went and called and just did our research and found out like what was the base minimum, you know, how much it would cost for you to have all the things so that we would be able to to be able to reach like especially key people. And we did that. We're like, okay, turn this, this, this on on your plan if you don't have it already. And not only are we going to cover your bill, but we're also going to cover that extra expense, you know, just so that we would be able to get into and And we let everybody know as well. You know, we weren't going to cover everybody, but just so they would know, like, look, it's just going to cost you this much. And then, yeah, which is always a fair way of doing things. But now it seems like you've done your time on the road and you're ready to step back off the road. Is that why you're back at JH or at JH? No, well, it's kind of a great opportunity that fell into my lap. And this is kind of where where Kyle and I met. Kyle and I met on uh, Janet, which was so much fun. I had a blast with those guys. And we were hitting it hard and we had, we were going into 2016, had a solid year ahead of us. I had just bought my first house. Everything was wonderful. And on Christmas Eve, I get a call from the then tour manager that says, are you sitting down? And I was like, what do I need to be sitting down for? And she's like, well, we just postponed the first leg of the tour. And I was like, well, when are we going to go back out? She's like, we're going to go back out in March. I was like, cool. I got money. So I can keep it roll. I can keep it moving until March. And then, and you know, as Kyle knows, like it just kept getting pushed and canceled and postponed. And then eventually they pulled the whole thing. So I had called the wonderful Mark Robbins with Aves off and told him what was going on. And he's like, oh, I got, I got a gig for you, you know, but it wasn't going to start until June. So I had bought my house, was sitting home for months, couldn't get a gig because, you know, in March, everybody's, everything's already staffed at that point. And I sat in this house and I was like, wow, I kind of dig being home like this, like the, and I'll say moving to Nashville. That was a big thing for me, too, because I actually enjoyed being home when I was off the road, whereas when I lived in L.A., I couldn't get on a plane fast enough. And my just my whole lifestyle changed here. And so I sat here. I was like, man, I would love to be getting paid to be home, but that's just not my reality. So I went out to L.A. for rehearsals at center staging. And I went to go see Thomas who works for JH because he and I had actually met on Van Halen when he, when Jerry offered him that job and we were just chatting and I, I knew that they had a person here was just asking him about it. And they were going to let that guy go and they wanted somebody full time. And he kind of looked at me. He's like, you know, would you be interested? I was like, dude, I've been sitting home for about seven months and I've been digging it. And he's like, Oh, I'll get Jerry on the phone right now. And I was like, slow your roll. Right. So I go back to my hotel and I was talking to my friend. And tell him that I talked to Thomas. And I was like, oh, my God, if I stayed home, I could get a dog. And I started crying. So the next day, Thomas came in and, and he was like, Jerry said, the job is yours if you want it. And I told him straight up, I said, look, dude, this is how much money I make on the road. And he's like, oh, I made that in my first year. And I literally nice. I was like, sign me up. <laughs> I was like, if I can make the more money stay at home. And so I, I, I fulfilled the rest of my obligation for the tour that I was on. And uh, flew down to Orlando to meet Jerry. Is I know Jerry well, but Jerry wasn't running the company. He had the president of the company. So I flew down and 
met with him and liked everything he, you know, liked his vibe. And I love the company. I had, you know, some JH in ears as well. And I love Jerry. So I did it with the thought that the road's not going anywhere. Well, or so I thought, and, um, I can always go back if, if I need to, or if I want to, and I, I ended up loving it, but I'll be honest, I, ne- cause I never wanted to be in the position that I was with, you know, a tour just falling from underneath of you and all that money that you put together for your safety blanket for when something like that happens is completely depleted. So I was like, I will never have that happen to me again. And here we are. <laughs> the rug did get pulled from under our feet. Yeah. Do you ever see yourself coming back to the road now that, um, you know, things are a little bit different now? I don't know. I, I kind of enter, you know, just thinking about when this all comes back online. I mean, like I said, I, I thought I was prepared financially, you know, for times like these, but it's like nobody could have ever predicted this. So I definitely have in the back of my head, if you know, when this gets back up and running, you know, hopefully to the degree that it was that if I needed to do a quick six months just to refill the coffers, I'm, I'm down to do it, you know, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I miss it and I don't miss it. I really do enjoy being home and, and this new role that I have within the industry, you know, is more of a support type of role. I really enjoy it. I was going to say, uh, working with these amazing artists and these huge tours and being in high demand, how did you resist the temptation of staying at home and not going back out? I kind of was thinking about the end game. I said to myself and like, no disrespect to all the people that do the stuff that I do. I'm like, I don't want to be 60 years old worrying about somebody's after show food. That's amazing. It's so hard to get off the road. (laughs) Get off. To get off, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so hard to get off the road and feel fulfilled. That's the thing. Like we all do this because we're passionate about whatever it is that you do, and we love music and all that, and travel. And to be able to to have a job put in front of me, like basically laid out in front of me for a company that I respect, an owner who I love, and a product that basically you know sells itself. All you have to do is help people find the right thing. Um, And it was a chance to get to know the Nashville music community, which I didn't know. I came here from L.A. and was still touring. So I didn't really know this town from a a business standpoint. So getting all getting to know all that. So it really I think once I set my mind to it, I I love change. Um, I haven't regretted it once since I left. Do you think you would ever slide back into the audio portion of it since you are quietly in audio via J.H.? Will you ever get behind the console? No, <laughs> I spent my time behind the con. My time behind the console was so brief. Like I was an assistant engineer at Westlake for like a year and a half, and I never, I never ended up doing any live stuff. So yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> that's why we got you. <laughs> Kyle, I think she just said you're a big pain in the ass. I, I, that's, I mean, I was just reading between the lines, but I feel like that that's was, there was a little gray area. Yeah. I hear. <laughs> it ain't great. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you this though. So Kyle, I when I came out to do that, um, the Hollywood Bowl show. So one of the things that happened after the tour canceled, and I'm working for JH, I was road managing. They were trying to scale it down. I was road managing the band from home, and so there was a big show she's doing at the Hollywood Bowl. She invited all the day, like all every dancer that she'd ever danced with I to come back. That. And I was supposed to, there was something that was supposed to be happening 
And then whatever I was supposed to be doing fell through. And, and the tour manager's like, you got to come out and just help me with this one show. So I was like, all right, cool. So I basically flew out for like a day just to wrangle. I think like 30 dancers came back. I was only at the gig for maybe about seven or eight hours. And I was like, oh my God, I am so out of road shape right now. My feet are killing me. All this running around chasing people. So yeah, I think I would have to like do like a workout regime before I could actually get back on a tour bus. Well, shit, we're all going to be feeling that. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. what we're doing right now, right? We're, yeah, the COVID-19, I'm, I'm deep in it right now. <laughs> well, Charity, your experience is fantastic. And uh, I love that you've been able to transition from studio to tour to a front office job. And, uh, you know, that's definitely what the hustler spirit is all about and what we speak to. Uh, you're actually the first tour manager, or former tour manager that we've had on the program too. So kudos to you and thank you for that. I do have one kind of educational rudimentary question for you, just for our young listeners who may be thinking about going to college uh, or thinking about getting a job on the road and, and are wondering, what is the difference, please tell our listeners, between a tour manager and a road manager? Um, I'll tell you this production coordinator, tour manager, road manager are fundamentally all the same job. It's just who you're looking after. So the tour manager, depending on the scale of the tour is looking after the artist directly. And, but that artist might also have a road manager, but depending on the tour, the, the tour manager is doing all the logistics and travel and schedules for the direct per, the direct artist. Me as a road manager for Janet Jackson's band, I was responsible for the B party. So the band, the dancers, the tutors, the teachers, the children, the, all of those. So I did all those front same house. things, schedules, yeah, front of house, playback. I did all the logistics for all of those You're people. Welcome. And then production coordinator, same thing. You're the production manager's assistant. What you're doing, you know, and, and depending on who your production manager is, is how much, um, you know, stuff you do on your own, you know, but I would do all the travel, all the schedules, all the logistics for the crew. So it's all basically the same job. It's just who you're taking care of. Six degrees of the same shit. Yep. Well, that is fantastic. We appreciate you. If you could give us just a couple of, uh, of quick hits here before we close out today. Um, and you may have already touched on these, but do you have a favorite tour that you can speak to briefly? I will say I have different ones that are my favorites for different reasons. I'd say uh, Van Halen, just because it was a band that I grew up and I absolutely loved. Um, and I met a lot of new people that I had never toured with before. And it was just such an incredible experience just from a musical standpoint and it just a camaraderie. Um, probably one of the tours that I think I was probably the most proud of was doing six weeks in Southeast Asia with the Eagles. And, and a lot of times I was just traveling with the crew myself because my production manager was traveling with the gear. So getting, getting everybody from point A to point B for six weeks in Asia, my, my first big Asian tour was one of my favorites. And then Queen Latifah was my first sort of big tour management job. And that one was good because there were naysayers that thought that I would be too nice to be able to be a tour manager. And at the end of the gig, um, her uh, manager was very, very happy and very complimentary. So those are my faves. And Janet, I mean, Janet was a favorite too, because that was just fun. <laughs> well, before you go, I need to know about the Wall of Fame, this Hall of Fame you're on. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> Lord. Well, you know what? It's something that, that, that Full Sail does. Um, you have to have been working in the industry, you know, for a certain period of time, you know, post-graduation. You also have to have been the person that sort of gives back. So, like, I would maybe not necessarily mentor people, but if there was somebody that they felt like maybe needed a helping hand that maybe I could talk to them and talk to students and when people would come to L.A., things like that. Um, so that's sort of the criteria. And obviously you have to have, you know, a certain amount of success in your industry. And it's something that they do every year. They induct six new people in different fields. And um, I had the honor of being one of those people um, in 2015. And, and it's funny because I was like, ah, I'm just going to go down there, give a couple speeches, get an award. Like, I didn't really know how big of a deal it was until they told me they would fly me back from Australia to attend the ceremony and then fly me back to Australia because I was on tour and I was like, I can't make the date that you guys normally do it because I'm going to you know, be on tour. They actually changed the date of the whole thing so that I could be there. And then when I got there, and mind you, like I said, there's five other people being inducted as well. When I got there, the overwhelming, like this like sense of camaraderie, which on the outset, you're like, these people have really drank the Kool-Aid, like for real. But it, the, the, I mean, and it's crazy because by the time I left to come home, I was like, oh my God, this was like the best experience of my life. Like, everybody's so genuine and kind and caring and supportive and, um, they, it's a big, and you know, obviously it's a big marketing tool for them, but it, for me going back there after having not been there for a really long time, I was like, first of all, where did all these brown people come from? And this is great. And where did all these ladies come from? Like the diversity on that campus is absolutely amazing. And I'm excited about the future of not just our industry, but all sort of entertainment type industries. That, I love going I love back. That. That's fantastic. So You've offered us so much, but do you have any additional wisdom to impart on our listeners before we go? I do. <laughs> um, I think probably one of the biggest things that's come from this whole crisis, and, and I think why a lot of road people are struggling is because all we do is work. And one of the things that I realized when I stopped touring is that I am more than my job. I'm more than charity, the fill in the blank title. I'm more than charity that fill in the blank that works for this artist. You're so much more than that. And for a lot of us, all we've ever done are these kind of gigs. Um, and I think a lot of people feel like they're not capable of doing anything outside of touring. But what I think a lot of people don't realize is that we move a city every day. You know, we build it, we tear it down, we do a show every day under incredible circumstances. And if you can do that, you can do anything. And the work ethic alone of being on the road is bar none. So I, I think a lot of people, you know, they're having this struggle, but I think people need to realize that you're so much more than your job. And I, and I hope people realize that when we come up from, from under all of this. Charity, you are the embodiment of a hustler. I appreciate the spirit and the guidance. <laughs> Any shout outs or parting shots? Me? Shout outs? Uh, hey, everybody, just stay safe, stay sane. We're going to get through it. Hustle, figure out, figure out something else to apply all this wonderful, wonderful knowledge that we have. And you know what? Enjoy the time while you have it. Well, on that note, we appreciate you being with us today. Charity Lomax, do you have any social media handles you want to make our listeners aware of? Uh, uh, JH Audio, hashtag JH Audio. What is mine? Charity 
Nashville JH Audio. I don't know. Just find me. Google it. Charity, all, <laughs> charity all the money, Lomax. Leave me. Yeah, yeah, I wish. <laughs> there it is. Some advice. We appreciate you being with us. Hey, uh, thank you for having. Shout me. out to Eddie Van Halen. Get better. Get healthy. You know, be well. We would love yeah. to see you on the road again. I'd be remiss not to say that. But uh, to all our listeners, keep on hustling. We appreciate you. Do like Charity says. You know, peace of mind, good health. Use this time to your benefit uh, personally, not to mention professionally. Look for other things you could be doing, things to expand your horizons. Keep on hustling. We appreciate you all. We are Hustle Like You Broke. You can find us. You can email us questions anytime. HLUB podcast on the gram or info at hustlelikeyoubroke.com. If you want to send us an email, we thank you and good night.